to need God, to seek God, to hunger for God, to contact God, is a human exercise. I was once talking with a fellow worker, a co-worker. I said, someone needs to write a little article or track on this subject. It is human to need God. The prevailing thought, which is why I said this notion is not well accepted, is to associate God, believing in God, loving God, <clears throat> desiring to know God's purpose. That's considered religious. I officially, thoroughly, absolutely, irrevocably left every form of religion almost 50 years ago in the face of my theological education in a little town called Princeton, New Jersey. And I didn't replace it with another religion. And I began to learn it's human to hunger after God just as it's human to hunger after love. It's human to thirst after God just as it's human to thirst after meaning and purpose and significance. Then the second thought is very different. The God it is human to love, and whose purpose it is human to live for, has something in human culture that fiercely opposes his will and his purpose, and that is religion. Religion and I'll give a kind of operating definition of that eventually, is directly opposed to God's desire, to God's purpose, to God's will, to God's operation. It is absolutely opposed to Christ, the Son of God, to the Spirit of God, to the genuine church of God. And religion, as we'll see in Paul Apostle's own life, is the enemy of God in two ways. The first way, we may say, is subtle. And that is to function as a veil and also as a counterfeit. As a veil covering the minds and the hearts of nearly everyone, blinding the mind, obfuscating the truth, darkening the heart. And religion, 
with its legality, its formality, its hierarchy, its systems of thought, substitute what God intends and substitute Christ himself in the experience of the believers. Religious people <clears throat> don't sing the way we sang tonight. But there's another way, and believe me, my comment is not extreme. Religion, when it is intensified by the power of evil, actually, actually violently opposes whatever is for God and whomever stands for God. And this is why it is a fact that some of the most cruel and inhumane activities have been carried out for religious purposes with all manner of monstrous things perpetrated supposedly in the name of the God one is worshipping. The one whose writings I'll read in a moment. I'd like to read the verses to you once we have this introduction before us. He exemplifies this when he was Saul of Tarsus. Probably he was a genius. He was well educated in the culture of the time. He was raised by the top rabbi in Jerusalem, Gamaliel. He was exceedingly zealous, ambitious, and surpassed all of his peers. But when he came across these people who believed that God became a man named Jesus, and that the God-man Jesus was the Messiah who died for sins and resurrected to impart life. And that there were people gathered in his name and calling on his name and enjoying him all the time. That infuriated Saul of Tarsus. And when Stephen was martyred, he was fully consenting. That's in Acts 8. A-C-T-S. Not A-X. If you look for a book of Acts, you're not going to find it. <laughs> I know, when I was 16, I tried to find Acts. <laughs> but he wasn't satisfied with that. There was a great persecution against the Christians. And this is what Luke records concerning Saul. He was not satisfied with entering uninvited into the homes of the believers, breaking up their meetings, dragging men and women to the trial, and voting for the death penalty. He wanted to go to another city. And he got authority. And this is what Acts says. Saul was breathing out murder. Murder. The Lord Jesus himself said in John 16, 
to his own apostles. Before he died, he said, the time is coming when those who kill you will think they're serving God. So I stand here tonight with a twofold absoluteness, which doesn't depend on an opinion poll or how many currently embrace this idea. And the twofold absoluteness consists in this first, by the Lord's grace, I stand in and for the one true and living triune God with his revelation in his Son to fulfill his purpose, to build up the church as the body of Christ, to bring in the kingdom of God. And second, I must absolutely stand against the religion that opposes this. And it has grieved me for decades because, as you probably have discerned, I'm not young. <laughs> At least not outwardly. It has grieved me for decades that the most thoughtful people on the campuses and in the arts and in whatever level of society they're functioning, has never had the opportunity, if they want to reject, to reject the real gospel, the real message, the real revelation. Rather, so many, like James Joyce growing up in the Jesuit school, and recounting his experience in his book about an artist as a young man. They just heard something from religion. And Paul wrote in Romans, addressing religious people, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of them. So I welcome this opportunity to speak from Galatians. Now you wonder, what's Galatians? Who were the Galatians? Galatia was a province in the Roman Empire. So the people lived there were Galatians. Paul went there with co-workers, announced Christ Jesus as the gospel to them, and many believed, were baptized, and were formed into churches. Then there was an invasion of religious ones who wanted to negate everything. And when Paul learned of this, he wrote this very strong epistle. His mind was crystal clear, although his spirit was on fire. And these are some of the things he said in chapter 1, which will bring us to our subject. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me through the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, 
that he might rescue us out of the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. For you have heard of my manner of life formerly in Judaism, that I persecuted the church of God excessively and ravaged it, and I advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries in my race, being more abundantly a zealot for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might announce him as the gospel among the Gentiles, Immediately I did not confer with flesh and blood. Yet I was still unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which are in Christ. But they only heard this, that he who was formerly persecuting us is now announcing as the gospel the faith which formerly he ravaged. Now, aggressive atheists, like Sam Harris, in his less-than-accurate knowledge, and Richard Dawkins, in his less-than-objective approach, they will advocate the abolition of religion as the solution to the problems caused But God has another alternative, at least in this age. And this is what he did with this ardent religionist. God did not send a super genius to debate with this Jesus. Someone to subdue his intellectual acumen. Convince him of the objective truth. God took another approach. And again, whether or not the citizenry at Harvard will accept this now, it doesn't affect the reality. The time is coming when this divine solution will be applied universally to everybody. So what happened to Saul when it pleased God to reveal his son in him? Saul was on a collision course, breathing out murder. Then God decided, I will show you a light brighter than the sun. And that's what happened. He suddenly saw a light brighter than the sun. Now materialists have to explain this away. Well, Paul had an epileptic seizure. <laughs> so all that he saw, all that he lived and died for, he was shipwrecked three times, stoned, beaten with rods five times, all because of a seizure. <laughs> Let's be sober-minded. Let's be a little bit fair-minded here. No one can argue with divine light. <clears throat> light is the source of truth. 
And John, the Lord Jesus, said, I am the truth. He also said, I am the light. And in this age of darkness, the divine light shines in a limited number of people whom God opens to this. And when it comes, there's no argument. You can argue with propositions. How could Jesus be the Messiah? The Messiah is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. He came from Nazareth. Don't you know he grew up in Nazareth, but was born in a sneaky way in Bethlehem? We rest our case. God is not taking that way. When he shines, that's it. And Paul referred to this in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, when he said that God, who said, out of darkness light shall shine. This God has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This light shone in his heart. He could not deny it. Then there was a speaking. Why are you persecuting me? And this me signifies not only the resurrected Christ himself, but the resurrected Christ in union with all of his believers, especially the suffering believers, as one corporate person. And that was the end and that was the beginning. And he was blinded. This is the paradox. When we claim we see, we're actually blind. But if we admit that we're blind, we may be able to see. And God revealed his son into this chosen persecution. And Paul said, and he prefaced it with this word, but I persecuted, I ravaged, I destroyed, I opposed, I was religious, I was violently opposing. But God, now I insert this concerning God. No one can prove that God is, and no one can disprove that God is. I'm familiar with the arguments, the counter-arguments. Here is the basic, challenging reality. God is. This might uh, amuse you a little, although that's not my intention, but I find it rather uh, amusing in its folly. One Saturday afternoon, 1971, I decided to conduct a thought experiment based upon this premise. Everything, everyone, has a cause.
That's how our mind is structured. Space, time, causality. So even though I'm not a genius, I decided in my mind to trace back mentally until I could identify the cause of God. And I do believe that among attributes, other attributes, God does have a sense of humor. He created proboscis monkeys. Have you ever seen that? <laughs> How can you create such a monkey and not have a sense of humor? <laughs> so he was observing this, and he let this go on. And then a verse from the Bible that was in my spirit came alive, living in me. And the verse was from Exodus. I am that I am. I will not explain to you, little man, how I can be self-existing. I know your materialist, neo-Darwinian worldview doesn't allow for this. That's his word to others, not to me then. I will confront you with the fact that I am. So Hebrews 11.6 says, He who comes forward to God must believe that He is. So the resurrected Christ was revealed into Saul of Tarsus, showing him, I am. I am Jesus. You need now to face, to face the fact in the light that I am, I am living, I am resurrected, I am in ascension, and I am one with the people you are persecuting. That was the first question Saul asked, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus. The second question he asked, what should I do, Lord? And the Lord said, you will be told what to do. This is the shining of the glory of God's Son into a human heart. We live in the age of darkness. The ungodly will not be converted by any arguments. But as naive as it sounds in the place where we're meeting, I not only believe God is, I believe God has spoken. And I believe the written word of God conveys the divine revelation. And one thing it says is, the Lord who is. He will return to this earth. He will manifest himself. And the word says he will do so as the son of righteousness. Amen. 
then what will everybody do? Now the sun is shining. The divine light is shining. God is manifested. God in Christ is now manifested. The veil has been lifted. No reasonable person can deny this reality. But that is pending. Before that can happen, something inward and something deeply personal needs to happen in those whom God has chosen and on the human side, those who would simply open their being to the Lord. See, this is God's purpose, for which He created all things. That He will have a universe consisting of untold numbers of objects and beings. And He will create humankind in his image and with his likeness, to be his expression. That is why it's human to need God. I was once asked by a professor in a graduate class as one of the students to give a five-minute presentation that he would record because he wanted to remember his students. So I chose my subject, and for about three minutes of my five, I spoke to them about, there's a part of your being you don't even know you have. The deepest part of your humanity you don't even know exists. And that is really sad, to be a human and not know the depths of your own humanity, when knowing this and realizing its purpose will change your life. And they were really interested. Then I could tell them, you as a human being have a human spirit. Not just a soul. Something deeper than the soul. It's not the life of God. It's not the spirit of God. It's something very close that is designed to contact God receive God, and contain God. And I will boldly make this statement. Unless one does this, one is not fully human. Because you neglect the depths of your being, which is the key to your existence. In Zechariah, we have this verse, God who stretched forth the heavens, laid the foundation of the earth, and formed the spirit of man within him. The human spirit is ranked with the heavens and the earth. And this spirit has a longing. And when someone can bear to be silent for 20 minutes with no music, no texting, no nothing, just allow what's deep within you to surface, many will sense a profound emptiness. Because there's a human need 
at the core of your being. It's not religious. You need to contact and contain God and be filled with Him and express Him. This is what a human being is. Other scriptures reveal we are vessels. Even we somewhat look like bottles in different shapes. In different shapes. Some, but what? Anyway, speak for themselves. I finally had to make peace with my own anatomy. That's the way it is. That's why I can say before the face of the Lord, it's human to need. It's human to seek. It's human to believe in. And what a tragedy for one's whole human life to be a living, walking contradiction of one's human nature. And then so many things have bombarded your mind, either from religion or from the secular world, so you are temporarily duped into thinking this is all there is. But the fact is, God created human beings with the capacity to receive Him, to love Him, to enjoy Him, and express Him. And God's desire is to reveal His Son into these human beings. Paul says He revealed His Son in me. He didn't say to me, but in me. Which really means here, into me. Paul was this empty vessel. And when the light shined, the sun was revealed into him. And a person, the resurrected Christ as the Spirit, actually entered into him. So Paul could say, and in other months you will see in this series, Christ lives in me. There's another person living in me. I said this to myself when I was 16. And I had no one to help me and no one I could talk to. I said to myself, there's another person living in me. But now I can say it to you. What? That was in 1955. <laughs> I have another person living in me right now. And so do many of you. And this person is not a religion. He has no intention of making us religious. But as he lives inside of us and imparts life to us, in this life, intrinsically, is a longing and that longing is to gather together in oneness and in love with all other believers. To be gathered together in oneness. But look at what religion has done to the testimony of oneness. Incredible division of every kind based on race, 
nationality, culture, language, complexion. But since 1966, speaking in outward human terms, I've been living blissfully in an interracial, multinational, universal, cultural, church life all over the earth. Amen. Where every form of division, every barrier, every form of discrimination, bias, preference has been terminated. And the divine life within us can run its course to knit us together. It's not an exaggeration to say I travel virtually all over the earth to many remote places. And I just have no consciousness wherever I am, if it's Africa, if it's India, if it's the south of the Philippines, if it's in Japan, I have no consciousness that I am a Caucasian American male. I have no consciousness. I walk into a restaurant as the only white guy there. They're looking at this person. I wonder, what are you looking at? I'm with my brothers. I'm with my sisters. We have the same father and we have the same mother. When Christ the Son is revealed into us, He imparts resurrection life to our whole being. And that life on the one hand, motivates us to give ourselves to Him, to love Him, to love reading His Word, the desire to know the truth. And it gives us a hunger to gather together with every believer that will likewise drop the divisions and just come together to be one in the name of the Lord Jesus. The divine designation of that is the church, the body of Christ, the one new man. When the Lord was on earth, immediately after Peter declared, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, the Lord said, I will build my church. Then he revealed this church, what he called my church, not a pope's church, not a pastor's church, my church will bring in the kingdom and change this age. Now what the Lord needs and what he wants, as illustrated by Paul, is simply this. On his part, he will do what he wills to do. On our part, we may do what God wants us to do. And that is simply open our being to him. To turn our heart to him. Religion is a veil covering the Lord, covering the truth, and covering us. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3, whenever Moses, that is the Old Testament, is read, a veil is on the hearts of the readers. 
they don't know what it's talking about. But when the heart turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Then he said, we all, with unveiled face, behold and reflect the glory of the Lord. We are being transformed into the same image. And the glory we behold is the glory in the face of Jesus Christ, who has shined himself into our hearts. When we say open, we don't mindlessly open. We open with a clear mind, with an exercised mind, but hopefully with an unbiased mind. Then the light shines into us, and we know. I don't just think Christ lives in me. I don't just believe Christ lives in me. I know there's another person in me. Amen. And I know in the eyes of the ungodly, I'm either demented or you are mistaken. Call me what you want. It doesn't matter. One day, a but came into my life. I was a religious young man with lots of religious ambition. And studied theology in Princeton to advance it and to achieve it. But... But God decided, you're taking another course. I'm plucking you out of this. I will show you my son, my embodiment and expression. I will reveal him into you and then give you the longing that is his longing to care for the desire of his heart. <coughs> So this is what happened to Paul who became a pattern to us. He saw a light brighter than the sun. He couldn't argue with it. When he saw the light, the light which is the sun himself entered into him. He was born of God. He was forever changed. And then he immediately began to proclaim as the gospel the faith that he formerly persecuted. This is the veil of religion versus God revealing his son in us. Now I'm finished now. I've been learning. I don't try to do what only the Spirit of God can do. I can just do a small part of bearing, of bearing witness to what I've seen and heard. But what I look for God to do is to relentlessly shine into you until you have to give in to Him. And what I hope many of you would do is that at least a little bit you would open your being and pray. If you are real, Lord, if you really are the Son of God, if God really is, Shine into me and make yourself real to me. May it be so. Amen. May the Son be revealed in you. Amen. The Lord bless you all. I don't know anybody 
<laughs> but by the divine life within me, I can just say, I love you all. I cherish you all. I long for the best for you all. That you will know God's will. You will know God's son. You will know God's purpose. You will be rescued from religion. And sing and praise and enjoy the Lord forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Amen.